I am always amazed that an ugly little creature like a caterpillar could be transformed into something so beautiful, beautiful as a butterfly. Um, if there's an argument about God and his existence, I think that's a good example of that. You know, as amazing as that is, though, as I look upon my own life and I see the transformation that God did when he took this ugly and filthy life of sin that I was imprisoned in, and he transformed that into this this life of holiness that he could be that could be used to glorify him. You know, I'm not only amazed; I am um, I'm actually overwhelmed. Um, my family was sitting in the back row today. Um, they're recovering Baptists, so they have to sit in the back row. There's, they have no choice in that matter. But um, I think they will uh, would jump up uh, to proclaim that witnessing the transformation in my life. That number one. Yes, there's definitely God. And number two, they have a better appreciation of his resurrection power. And for those of you who may not know me, uh, my name is uh, Frank Langford. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Cornerstone. I have the privilege and the blessing to be in service of you. And the ministry that I do oversee is called the um, Community Groups uh, Ministry. And, um, you know, I think all ministries should be measurable. And so I just want to give you a little update about my ministry and what God's doing and working in that. And as I look out over this uh, audience, I, I see a lot of our leaders and a lot of our hosts here. So I just first of all, I want to express my appreciation for you. Um, but there's currently uh, 26 groups that are out there meeting each week. And each week they are studying God's word. They are developing relationships they are discipling one another. Uh, but more importantly, they're being transformed. There is life change and a metamorphosis that's going on in each of their lives. And um, I want to extend an invitation to you. If you would like to be involved or get connected to a group, whether it's just attending or if you uh, would like to lead a group or perhaps host and just open your home to a group that would uh, meet there each week, uh, just please come seek me out. Uh, you usually find me out at the um, community groups table in the lobby. And, um, you know, I'd be happy to just kind of hear your heart and, and make sure that you're, that you're connected. But I also want to um, give you, those that are involved in the, uh, in the ministry, uh, I just want you to know that God's hand is at work and that the Holy Spirit is moving through it. And um, I think that's in part, really a large part, because the leadership at this church, we hold this idea of transformation, this idea of life change to such a high, a high degree. I mean, it's one of our core values. It's something that we're looking at in, to come out of just any ministry that, that this church does. And I think um, God is just simply honoring that. And so he's growing this community group ministry. And again, I just want to thank you for being a part of that. Um, today, we're going to be talking about this resurrection power, this, this transformation, this metamorphosis. And I have a letter here that kind of speaks out of fact, so I'd just like to share it with you. And it begins, it says, God drew me, into, uh, drew me to himself at a young age. I can't recall a time I didn't know God. By the time I was 12, I gave my heart to Jesus. 
I knew that he was the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. I knew that he died for my sins and that he was raised from the dead. I knew that he's at the right hand of the Father. I knew that his spirit lives in me. And I knew that he's coming back for me someday. What I didn't know then, but found out the hard way later in life, was that even though you give your heart to Jesus, sin can still infiltrate and take residence there. And we all have our favorite sins that we harbor and we allow to um, idolize in our heart. Mine was alcoholism. It took root in college, and it imprisoned me for 20-plus years. The thing about alcoholism is that it doesn't just take the addict prisoner. His family and his friends are held hostage as well. There is much collateral damage. The strength of a marriage is tested. The trust of a family is broken. Relationships are restrained. Every attempt to regain control simply fails. And then one God, one day, God says, enough. I've, been, I've forgiven you for this sin countless times. It's time for you to have victory over it. And at 7 a.m. on a weekday morning, as I was reaching into the fridge for a cold beer, God reached down into my life. The Holy Spirit came upon me with a conviction that can only be described as supernatural. It was that godly sorrow that leads to repentance that, that Scripture speaks about. My heart cried out, God, if you're real, if you truly love me, take this sin from me. I surrender it to you. I give you my life. I prayed that prayer many times before, but it was never more than a rhetoric uh, this time, however, I genuinely, genuinely meant it. And it was at that moment, as I was still reaching out for that beer, I felt this chill just run down my spine. The lights in the room dimmed, and they became bright again. It was like a switch went off inside my soul. It was in that moment, that instant, that I knew God reached down into my life, and he transformed me. He removed my desire to drink. He cut it out of my life like a cancer. Today, today I have complete victory over his sin that held me powerless for decades. And it's all due to my being willing to surrender to the Holy Spirit and his regenerative power, leaving me with a heart that is totally his. And the letter signed by his grace, Frank Lankford, community group's pastor. Thank you. And, um, you know, I hope that comes as a, uh, I hope that comes as a bit of surprise to some of you that might not know my testimony, because I hope that I no longer resemble that old man or that old self, uh, that I'm a new creature in God, and I'm continually being transformed and shaped into the image of Christ. But, you know, even with a testimony like this, I, I have to be sensitive when I share it because um, it could be a little misleading 
uh, you could get the, the wrong impression that transformation is, is instantaneous and that it's complete. You know, one minute you're a butterfly, the next uh, caterpillar, next you're a butterfly. You know, one minute you're reaching for a beer, and the next you're, you're sober. And, you know, sometimes it happens that way when it's a miracle. But typically what it looks like in any of us that have taken even a single step in our walk with Jesus would, uh, would admit to is that it, it's actually a process. It's something that's ongoing. And that, you know, we're not really ever going to be complete, completely transformed until we see our maker in glory one day. You know, Kayla is complete now. Um, Diane, Suzette, Diane's complete now. Praise God. And um, this brings us to our first point in today's message. And that is that our transformation into the image of Christ is this ongoing process. And the Apostle Paul, uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, he kind of uh, addresses and alludes uh, to this. He says that, And when we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And it's this idea of ever-increasing glory that just kind of... Uh, makes me remember a conversation I just had recently with uh, Josh McClintock uh, sitting here. He's our um, he's our pastor over uh, the youth group and the children's ministries, and um, we were talking in a staff meeting one day, and he said, "Yeah, you know what? I'm really trying to instill in the youth and and try to teach them. They they have this misconception. They think that they are just going to wake up one day and be completely transformed." And what I'm trying to teach them is that this transformation, this, um, this walk with Christ, it's a series of moment-to-moment decisions where you choose to either honor God or not. So in other words, you make a choice, you're presented with a, a decision, and you choose to either glorify God, and in which case you grow, you mature, he adds to your faith, he He's shaping you. Or you choose not to honor him, and there is no growth. And, um, and when you do this over time in your Christian life, this should create a pattern. This should create a lifestyle. And I think um, not only is this a lifestyle that should be observable, I think it's a lifestyle that we can actually measure. Uh, for example, if you took a cross-section of your life, it should resemble something like um, the cross-section of a tree trunk. We have a slide here to kind of help us with this illustration. But what we see here are rings upon rings upon rings of growth. And sometimes the growth is very obvious. You know, sometimes the rings are fat where there was this, um, this, healthy, this healthy season where growth was dramatic. Uh, other times, towards the other end, these the growth was less noticeable, and those rings were just pretty much on top of each other. And then there's all other varying degrees in between. And the question I have for you guys is, if you took a cross-section of your life and you looked at your walk with Christ, what would your rings look like? You know, my rings lately, I would say the last several years, are these big fat guys. You know, they kind of match, match me. 
But I'm not ignoring the fact that I had many seasons and many years where you could barely notice the growth in my life. And I think if you were honest with yourself and you took your own snapshot and looked at your own cross-section, I think you might be surprised that there's areas of your life where you really need growth. In other areas of your life, well, you know, maybe you're okay. But I do want to uh, just take one other point from this illustration, and that is that this is all continuous. Um, these are all connected. This is actually layers building upon layers building upon layers. And we're going to see here in this next verse where Peter, in his second epistle, he's, uh, he's kind of addressing this, and he kind of gives us an idea what this looks like in the Christian life. And he says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Peter's saying here is that there's this process, there's this transition. It begins with faith, but then there's these layers of growth. And what that results in is this increase in our knowledge of, of God. You know, I'd like to share a, a little lesson that I learned from our trip to Zambia. I see Lexi here, so Lexi, I'm going to kind of be talking to you, okay? And um, if you go to Zambia, you're going to see as you drive around that there's these gigantic anthills. Um, thanks, Pat. Um, and they're, they're, they're enormous. They're the size of a house or the size of a bus. And they seem to be on, you know, just about every other property everywhere. And, um, but some of them, all you see is an anthill. And then somewhere else, you see this anthill with a bunch of bricks around it. And so one morning, um, uh, Gary Falk and myself, we were going over to um, uh, the boys' ranch to, to serve there. And I decided I would ask the boys and the leaders, um, you know, tell me about these anthills and these bricks. I mean, what, what's that all about? And they said, well, you know what they do? They, they excavate some dirt from these anthills, and they'll add water to it. And they'll make this mud. It's, it's really more of a clay because these anthills, what they're filled up with is it's really ant poop. It's you know, excrement. It's ant waste. Uh, but I guess it makes a good bonding agent. So anyway, they, they use this soil, and they make this mud or this clay. And then what they'll do is they'll take that, and they'll put it into this form, and they'll press it down until it takes, uh, takes shape of that form. And as it begins to harden, it, it begins to take on the shape of that mold, and then what they'll do is they'll pop it out, and they'll uh, bake it. They'll either put it in a kiln, or they'll just bake it in the sun. And what happens over time, this clay or this mud, it begins to harden, and it begins to strengthen. And when the timing's right, what they have is they have this product. They have this brick. It's something useful now. It's something that they can use to build or maybe sell as a resource and I thought, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Um, this is an illustration I've been looking for for a long time because transformation is, is very personal to me. And 
It's something that I, I search for in just about everything I do. And I thought to myself, what a beautiful illustration of transformation. You see, what happens is, at one point in all of our lives, we're nothing more than this pile of waste, okay? And God will draw from that, and he'll draw to himself. And then he'll add living water. And this water, it gives us new birth, and we become something different. There's this metamorphosis, this transformation that we we saw in that video that takes place in us. And we become this new thing. And suddenly we're this clay that he can mold and he can shape. And what he's shaping us into, the mold is his son, Jesus. And as he presses us down into that, that form, and as we begin to take on the image of Christ, you know, he knows what's best for us and our transformation is not done yet. You know, we still need to be refined by fire. We still need to be strengthened. We still need to be hardened. And that's something that's going to look different. Uh, that purifying process, that growth process will look different in each of our lives. Uh, for some of us, it's going to be the fire of persecution. Uh, for others, it's going to be the fire of uh, suffering. For others, still, it might be the fire of uh, trials or tribulations. But what happens, though, over time, God uses that to strengthen us. He uses that to grow us stronger. And eventually, that mold pops off. And what he has is he has this beautiful building block. He has this beautiful brick that he could build up and advance his kingdom. He already had the foundation. Uh, Jesus Christ is the foundation. But now he has something that he could build on that. And he could take you and build. And he could take me and build. And he could build you on top of me. And we become this thing, this living thing that he calls his church, that forcibly advances uh, his kingdom. And so I just, I just praise God and I thank him um, for bringing, bringing that illustration to me and uh, just making such a, an important part of my life. But, okay, so transformation is a process. But where does it begin? How does it start? What needs to occur? And what I would like to propose this morning, and or even argue, is that the starting point is a redeemed heart. And we're going to see three things that come out of a redeemed heart here. The first thing we're going to see is this, there's a new inner nature. God says in uh, the book of Ezekiel, he says, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone. And I'll give you a heart of flesh. The second thing that we're going to see is that um, we receive a new relationship with God. Paul, in his letter uh, to the Colossians, he says that once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation, praise God. And then the third thing that we're going to see here that comes out of a regenerated heart, a new heart, a redeemed heart is this, and that is that there's this new outward appearance. And this is going to be one of the verses we're going to kind of land on here for a little bit. 
In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul said, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on a new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this brings us uh, to our second principle, and that is that transformation begins from the inside out. We heard that sung about today. Uh, We kind of saw that witnessed in the life of Kayla. Um, We kind of saw that maybe illustrated a bit with um, those bricks in Zambia. But out of this new heart comes this new birth. And, you know, a a caterpillar doesn't just become a butterfly, you know. He, he's reborn, you know. It's not like one day he puts on a butterfly costume. He has to actually be re-engineered and remade. And that's what we see that happens in our life. But this new birth, it requires much shaping. It requires much growing if we're going to be transformed into the image of Christ. So Paul, he refers uh, in that previous passage about putting on our new self. Uh, so what does that look like? I mean, first of all, how do we put off our old self and then go about putting on this new self? Um, How do we do that? And, you know, God is so good. He's so faithful. In his word, he gives us some of these how-to passages. And he gives us a how-to passage uh, for this very subject. And we find in the book of Romans, it's from Romans 12, and it's verses 1 and 2. And what uh, Paul is saying here uh, to the Romans, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I'd like to uh, just spend a few minutes kind of unpacking this verse for us because I just think it's so vital that we um, understand this for our spiritual growth. And the first thing I want to take a look at is this idea of conforming to the patterns of this world. You know, we get our English translation for the word conform from the Greek, and it's a pretty straightforward translation. It means to conform to a pattern or conform to a mold. In other words, it means to take on the the shape of another. And in this context, uh, Paul is uh, expressing his concern that our deceitful desires, we might conform to the pattern, to the traditions, to the customs of this world. You see, he recognizes that we have this natural tendency. We have this tendency to want to take on the image of man rather than take on the image of Christ. And um, I think it's really important, too, to understand that at this time, a point in time, this first century church, many of the people that would be converting over into Christianity are Jews. And so as Paul and others are going around and they're establishing churches and they're, they're planning churches, there's these Judaizers that are coming in, uh, kind of in the back door. And what they're saying is, yeah, Jesus is great, and that's all fine, but you know what? you really should be circumcised. You know, you should be recognizing the Sabbath. Um, You know what? You should be watching what you eat. 
And, uh, and this was a real problem at that time. This is, uh, the, the apostles were really struggling with this. And, and I can kind of understand it. You know, these Jews that are new Christians, they're coming out of a, a religion that is just so steeped in customs and in traditions. You know, this is what they identify with. This is what they look back to. They identify themselves as sons of Abraham, God's chosen people, set apart uh, to a large degree by traditions, by customs. And so they're clinging, in a way, to their identity. And I can kind of relate to that, too, because with us Gentiles, when we become Christians, we kind of do the same thing. You know, we become a Christian, and yet... We're willing to make compromises. Uh, perhaps it's in our workplace, or perhaps it's um, uh, at school. Uh, there's these unhealthy relationships that we're willing to foster, and we refuse to break away from. Uh, perhaps it's something that you know I'm watching on TV or or on my computer, or maybe it's just control over my life that I refuse to give and surrender to God because. Maybe there's some fear or insecurity uh, that I'm coming out of. And so what we can see here is that this is something that we all really struggle with. And, you know, one of the reasons I know the Bible is true is because it's full of embarrassing testimonies. It really is. They're all over the place. And there's one that um, really speaks to this, this particular problem. And we're going to find in the letter to the Galatians, and what Paul's describing here was Peter's struggle with this, where he should have been putting on his new self, which is under grace. He was kind of backpedaling and putting on his old self, which was under the law. And um, it's this whole idea of conformity. Um, So if we could just take a look. Paul speaking, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong before certain men came, to, uh, came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, I just want to pause here and explain who this James is that Paul is referring to. This is Jesus' half-brother. Uh, this is the author of the book of James. This is the apostle James. This is the leader of the church of Jerusalem. This is James who is on the Jerusalem council. Uh, this is a person who, like the other apostles, has much influence, and, uh, in a, and to a large degree, he represents the church. And so we continue. But when they arrived, he, meaning Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews who joined, joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypo- hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And you see, uh, we see here that Paul is calling Peter out. He's pointing a finger at him. Because what um, Peter had done was he kind of took off his new self, and he put on his old. And so what he was doing was he was conforming to those patterns of the world. He was stepping back into uh, this kind of religious system that um, he was just um, delivered from. 
And this is going to, oh, one other point I want to make, and that is about conformity, as we can see in this illustration. I, I kind of view that as something of a mask. I think we have the power to put it on or to take it off ourselves, which leads us to our third principle. Conformity will result in hypocrisy when our outward behavior doesn't line up with our redeemed inner nature. And oftentimes, this is a consequence of fearing man more than fearing God. You know, I think we would all agree that one of the greatest stumbling blocks to the gospel is hypocrisy. You know, it's the first thing that people are going to point to when they want to discredit the church. And, you know, I think we need to be honest with ourselves and kind of, you know, man up to it. And that is that we're all hypocritical at one point or another, to one degree or another. And, um, you know, through Christ, we can change that. But I think it's also something that we need to at least recognize. And there's also a lesson that can be learned from Peter's mistake with his hypocrisy. And that is this idea to set the patterns of this world aside. You know, this phrase, this world, can be translated this age. And what it's referring to there is the system of beliefs, the values, the the spirit of this age. Uh, Who is the prince of this world? Who is the god with a small g of this earth? Somebody yell it out. Satan. Thank you. So it's, you know, it's needless to say that the traditions and the customs and the values of this world are not going to line up with God's kingdom values. They just come from two different economies. Um, and Jesus said this very plainly in John 10.10. 10. He, um, he said that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it in the full. And one thing you need to recognize about the patterns of this world, you know, Satan's pattern the lifestyle that he wants you to have, it's going to be filled with deceit. It's going to be destructive. He's going to distract. He is going to um, disable. But the pattern that Jesus wants, this life to be lived fully that he's talking about, is going to be a life of reconciliation. It's going to be a life of love. It'll be a life of service. It'll be a life of worship. So we see that setting aside the patterns of this world is an important step to freeing us up so that we can be transformed. And I would like to uh, just now very briefly look at the idea of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, I'd like to make uh, two points about this word transformed. And uh, the first point is uh, Pastor Clovis in uh, preparing me for this sermon uh, was kind of educating me on the, the grammar of the Greek And what we translate to be transformed is actually more accurately translated to keep on being transformed. And again, this just goes back to this idea that it's something that's occurring occurring presently and currently. goes back to that principle that it's this ongoing process. Uh, The other thing I like to uh, uh, just talk about the, the word transform, that it comes from this Greek verb, And it's the same word that we use for metamorphosis. So in that video with the caterpillar and the butterfly, that's what we're talking about. It's this metamorphosis. It's this total change. It's all-encompassing change that comes from the inside out. 
Uh, interesting enough, it's the same word that's used to describe the transfiguration of Jesus. If you recall, he, um, he gathered Peter and James and John with him, and he took them up on a mountain. And very briefly, he, in a way, just kind of unveiled his flesh and showed them a glimpse of his glory. And they were awestruck. Uh, they couldn't really even describe it. All they knew what to do was the worship. But it's a beautiful little picture because what he was doing there was revealing an exterior that matched his inner nature. And that's God's desire for us. He wants our, desi- our exterior to match our redeemed inner nature because it's through that that we reflect his glory. And, you know, people aren't going to see Jesus walking around on the earth today, but he will see Jesus in you. And that's an important uh, thing to just kind of remember and hang on to. And this idea of renewing of the mind, you know, the key to our transformation is this renewing of the mind. The mind is the control center of our attitudes and our thoughts, um, our actions, our, um, our feelings. Uh, renewing our mind is more than this intellectual acquiesce. It's more than a, a theoretical acceptance. Um, it's a matter of our mind continually being renewed, just like keep on being transformed. Our mind should keep on being renewed. And how do we do this? Uh, Some simple ways. One is to continually surrender to the spirit that's in you. Another way would be to just saturate yourself in the word. A third way might be to just surround yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ that will come alongside you and love you and build you up. And what happens is, as our mind continues to be renewed, it's going to result in a life. It's going to result in a lifestyle that is continually transformed. That's why here at the Cornerstone, more than frequently, you will hear us preaching the big three. And that is to gather on Sundays, gather in groups, and serve as you're gifted. Because we know if you do those three things, you're going to wind up with a lifestyle that abides in Christ and will bear fruit which brings us to our final principle, and that is that a change of our heart and our mind will create a desire to offer our lives as a, as a living sacrifice to glorify God and to love others through acts of service as we are gifted. You know, our Christian life, the impact that that has, it should be measurable. You know, when we become a believer, we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, And he gives us each gifts that are unique just to us. You know, as a whole, there's a diversity of gifts, and they they vary from person to person. But rather than uh, take the time today, which I'm running out of, to to look at the distinctives of each gift, I'd just rather like to look uh, for a moment or two about the purpose of our gifts. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he tells us that we should use our gifts with simplicity with diligence, with cheerfulness. In other words, we should be uh, intentional with our gifts. In his letter to the, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says that we should, these gifts are primarily for the unity of the body. Peter, he tells us that the purpose of the gifts is that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I believe that the pinnacle of understanding spiritual gifts comes when we realize how to use them for loving others, for building up the body, and to glorify God. 
An example of just one, one uh, gift is the spiritual gift of teaching. And Paul says this about it. He qualifies it in his letter to the Ephesians. He says, it's to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You see all these buzzwords built up, reach unity, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. These are all buzzwords that describe transformation that's taking place in the life of a believer. As we, again, we are shaped and we are molded into the image of our Savior. And again, just to reiterate, this happens from the inside out. And as our heart and as our mind are are renewed, it should result in a behavior of a life of service where we serve others and we love God. In closing, if you know Jesus today, but you feel that uh, your transformation is on pause, um, your outer behavior just isn't consistent with your new inner self, Uh, maybe you keep putting on your old self and conforming to the patterns of this world. Um, I just have... uh, a spiritual prescription I'd like to give you. I already mentioned it once, um, but I'm going to mention it again because I think it's worth, it's worth hearing. There's three pills for you to take. The first is surrender to the spirit that's inside you. Secondly, saturate yourself in the word. And then top it off by surrounding yourself with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are going to come around you and build you up and love on you. Now, if you don't know Jesus today and you haven't experienced this metamorphosis that we've been talking about where this resurrection power takes something that is dead, this life of sin, and gives it new life and gives it a, creates a life of holiness. If you haven't experienced that in your life, I want to give you the opportunity to do so today. There's no need to wait. You don't have to get your act together. For Jesus. He's going to meet you right where you are. And I would love to be part of that process. I would love to usher you into this relationship that will not only transform you, but it will be the most exciting and transforming season of your life. So if you guys would be so kind, if you would close your eyes and bow your heads with me, please. Lord, we thank you for your resurrection power, that you could take a life that is just dead to sin and give it new birth, and transform it through metamorphosis, new birth into a life of holiness. Holy Spirit, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus this morning, I just pray that you will convict them to follow me along in this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. I give you my heart today and I claim you as Lord of my life. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead in order to give me victory over death. Thank you for saving me and claiming me as your child. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.cornerstonechurch.com.
PrescottCornerstone.com. 